0: Well, hallelujah. Those were beautiful words. Uh, We now can come to our God not through an altar made by human hands, but by Christ who is our altar. Amen? He is our only way to the Father. He is it. Christ alone. Let's now go before his throne and let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the words of that song that points to Christ as the treasure to be treasured by us. Lord, I pray this day that God, you would speak to our hearts from your word. I pray, Father, for your church. I I pray, Father, that today, God, they would be encouraged in their journey with you. I pray, Father, that as they behold your promised word, that, God, they would stand strong upon it because you have planted it within us, Lord. Father, I pray that you will speak for me. God, as I... I open your word that, Father, uh, the power does not come in, in my personality, it doesn't come in eloquent speech, it doesn't come in, 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 in my theological mindset, it comes by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray... That today would be a demonstration of that power so that Christ alone is glorified. And that the hope of each one of us in here does not rest on the things of men, but rest upon you. Lord, we need you today. I pray, Father, that you will take the final verses of that great chapter in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, and that, Father, You'll speak it to our hearts. Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If you've got your copy of God's Word, I invite you to take it and turn it uh, for the fifth time. Fifth Sunday. In a row, we've been in Isaiah 55, turned to Isaiah 55, and today we're, we're, we, we're at the end of that chapter. And uh, we're going to camp out uh, with verse 12 and verse 13. And I suppose if, if I were to um, sum up the essence of that text, I would give it this title that it is about joy unspeakable and peace unimaginable i mean it's talking about something we can't even begin to imagine or what it is we can't begin to formulate the essence of what it's talking about in human words it's it is god in these verses is throwing some light on the future grace that is to come and oh my it's good So let's read verse 12 and verse 13 of Isaiah 55. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for Yahweh, shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I think, I didn't plan it this way, but I think it's fitting that we end up here in these two verses of Isaiah on this particular Sunday, since this is the Sunday that uh, precedes the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, when a lot of you will be focusing on turkey and food, um, but it, the essence of this text, it is grounds for the church to have thanksgiving and rejoicing in our hearts. I mean, the essence of what we're looking at this morning, this is the end result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the fulfillment of the gospel of our salvation. And oh my goodness, this is good. This is good stuff here. Verse 12 and verse 13 encapsulate the joyful ecstasy of future grace. It, it here, this text will speak of a time when there will be perfect peace and there will be perfect joy in all of creation. And The church will celebrate and creation will celebrate all together over what is to come. Wow. And this is God's promise to us of what is to come. This is God's promised Word. This isn't, well, I hope this is on the horizon, or I, I hope this will come one day, or this might come to be. No, this is, this, this is a guaranteed end result. This is something that will come. And we can hold on to it. And we can know it no matter what it says in the news, no matter what it says, what's going on out in the world. This will happen. This will come. This will come. Because God said and He told us about His Word. It goes forth to accomplish that purpose for which He sent it. And it will succeed in it. And this is God's promise. and It is a sure Word. It is a guaranteed Word to us. It is a promise of a jubilant dawn that will come after some of the darkest days in human history, there are, by the way, there, there are darker, darker days to come. But there is a bright dawn on the other side that is even greater than the darkness. And oh my, it will be awesome, it will be great. You see, we can't, as we begin to think about this text this morning, we can't, we can't formulate the words to describe this. We can't develop the thoughts to imagine this because it's outside of our frame of reference. In this age, what you know and what I know is pain, is misery, is suffering. There's murder, there's strife, there's enmity, there's death, there's sickness. There's all these things out there. Things I, I like to refer to them as joy-sucking leeches. It just wants to take the joy, what little bit of joy we know. It wants to, to rob us of that joy. And discourage us. When we, the people of God, ought to be the most encouraged people in all the universe. That is our reality, though. But Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verse 12 and verse 13 speaks of a promised time that is coming when all the pain of this present age will be no more. No more. Gone. No more. No more. Paul the Apostle refers to this same thing Age and moment in Romans 8 and verse 18. When Paul says these words, he says, Our present suffering, we can identify with that a little bit. Our present suffering is not worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. Something to come, something future, a grace yet to be of the glory that is to be revealed in the sons of God. Wow. Paul refers to it. Peter also speaks of this future grace that is encapsulated in Isaiah 55. When he writes these words in uh, the fifth chapter of his first epistle in the tenth verse. He says, and after you have suffered a little while. We've been suffering. See, we've been suffering since Adam's sin. We've been suffering. And guess what? All the way from Adam up to now. It's really just a little while in the scheme of eternity. Okay? And after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace will himself, oh, he's not sending somebody to do this other than him. He himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. <laughs> this is, as I've told you, this is. The fulfillment of our gospel. This is what Isaiah 55 is dealing with here. These last two verses. This is the final, ultimate, full realization of Christ hanging on Calvary's cross. Making all things new. It's the full realization of it. Wow. Guys, that's not a hope so. That is a will be so. It's, it's coming. It's coming. So this morning, I want us to do what we typically do when we come to a text of Scripture. I want us to interrogate it. I want us to question it. And as we do, I don't mean question in what it's saying. I mean question in order to mine out the truth, in order to see it, in order to to investigate God's written Word so that we can discover the great hope and the great joy that is packed within those verses and be strengthened by it. You see, I would say to those of you that are Kind of growing weary in your well-doing. It just seems like one problem after another. It seems like you think, well, I'm trying to do things right. I'm trying to, do, trying to follow the Lord. It just seems like, boom, boom, one thing after another. Listen, hold on, be encouraged. Don't give up. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't all there is. There is more to come. This isn't pie in the sky theology. This is promise of God. Will come. Will be reality. And the church ought to rejoice in it. It's good. It's good. It is awesome truth. It is awesome truth. So let's ask some questions of of verse 12 and verse 13. And the first question is, Some of you are going to think, well, that's an obvious question. Why ask it? But I'm going to ask it anyway. The first question I would ask of of this text is, Who is this promise for? Who is this promise for? Now, that to me is a pertinent question that needs to be clarified. Um, I, I say that because... This promise is not for everyone. This promise is for someone. Who is that someone that's talking about? Who is is that? Now some of you sit back and you think, well pastor, it's obvious that's for the church, that's for the Christian. Well, yeah, that's true, but... We need to understand who the church and who the Christian is. We need to understand what a Christian is. And the reason why I think it's important to define exactly who the you that this is for here is because in our culture, we have all kinds of ideas about what it means to be Christian or what it means to be the church. And I am of the conviction that if we're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian and who is a Christian when we know it's talking about a Christian, let's define a Christian in the language of the Bible. Not in the way that you want to think, hope, or hope that a Christian is. A Christian is not one who simply has some church affiliation. A Christian is not someone who's just said the sinner's prayer. A Christian is not just someone who's been baptized in the water of a baptistry. No, a Christian is one who meets the definitions of who God says is Christian. And since we're in Isaiah 55, I want to clarify who the you is for this promise. Because in Isaiah 55, we're given a picture, and we've seen it, what saving faith looks like and coming to faith looks like. We've already seen that. We've already walked through some of that. Isaiah 55 gives us really a functional description of what it looks like to have received the gospel. So in verse 12 of Isaiah 55 says, you will go out in joy. That you is specific and it refers to the subjects of that chapter. The you that will go out in joy is the same you that responds to the invitation of verses 1, 2, and 3. The you who is thirsty for God. The you who is hungry for God. The you who come to the table of His salvation and have nothing to offer Him. Who have nothing to give Him. Who are spiritually bankrupt. So you come and you dine at the table of Christ's salvation freely. Free of charge. All of grace. You come to him that way. That's who that invitation is for, those who are thirsty, those who recognize that, those who are like that. The you that this is talking about is the you that comes and is to 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 that respond to that invitation, and they're described in verses six and seven. They are the wicked. But the wicked who do not continue in wickedness. The wickedness who forsake their way. That is they repent. And they follow after our Christ. And they experience His abundant. I like the language there. The abundant pardon and forgiveness of our God. That's who the you is. It's not somebody who just jumped through some little hoops. At the end of vacation Bible school. It's not just somebody who somebody said, well, you've got to be Christian because your mom was Christian and you prayed some little silly prayer that you thought was going to make you Christian when the, you're not made a Christian by a prayer. You're made a Christian by a person. His name is Jesus. Now, the you here, that's who they are. These are those who were wicked and forsake their wickedness, who turn to the Lord, that's repentance, who discover abundant mercy and pardon. And my question, if that is the you that's described here, my question would be, does that describe you? Does that describe you? If so, then you've got reason to look forward with great expectation of the fulfillment of what this passage is talking about. Of joining in with all of creation in this celebration of joy unspeakable and peace unimaginable. Wow. But if not, this doesn't describe you. Then I echo to you the invitation of verses 1, 2, and 3. And I would bid you to come to Christ and trust in Christ and turn to Him. Let's repent. Turn to Christ and treasure Him. So that's who this you is. Now, second question. When will this promise, the promise of this text, when will it become a present reality? When will the future grace become present grace that is spoken of here? When when will this be? In other words, when will the true Christian man, woman, boy, or girl go out in joy and go out in perfect peace? When, When will this grand party of all the ages be? When will the Christian and creation join in the celebration of the Lamb? When will the promise of future grace become a present reality? Verse 13 of Isaiah 55 It gives us a clue. We're given an indication as to when that promise will be a reality. Listen to the text. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Well, in order to understand that clue that's right there, you've got to go back to Genesis. Matter of fact, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we learn why the world is currently a place of death and suffering and pain and misery. Because in Genesis chapter 3, God pronounced a curse on the whole of creation because of Adam's sin. That takes place in Genesis 3. And death, when, Adam's, when that occurred, death entered in, difficulty entered in. Guess what? Briars and thorns came into existence when they had not previously existed. Roses didn't have thorns before the fall. Listen to Genesis 3, verses 17, 18, and 19. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Here's verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, and you sh- and, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, that passage tells us that Isaiah is speaking of a time in creation history when the curse of Genesis 3 will be lifted. Because there won't be briars. There won't be thorns in that time period that's spoken of here. You see, um, Isaiah isn't Referring to some little agricultural shift, he's referring to some magnanimous shift in reality. It will be unthought of. It will be when it occurs, according to verse 13, listen to this, it will be an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. In other words, at this time spoken of in Isaiah, there will be an eternal shift in reality and and it will be, it is a moment in which the paradise that was lost will be paradise regained and it will never, ever, ever, ever be lost again. It's what the text says. It will be an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. The time referred to in verse 13 of Isaiah 55 I think is beautifully illustrated by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah 11, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, we read these words. The the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf with the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den, or on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow. Can you imagine that? A little child playing with a cobra and not being in danger. Wow. Wow. What an unimaginable Time that will be a time of unspeakable joy and peace that we can't begin to relate to. Oh, that is good. That is not fantasy or fiction or that's reality. That will be. That's coming. That will be a reality one day. So, the question though is, I haven't answered the question yet. If that's what that time period looks like, though, when will that time period be? When when will that be? Well, in order to understand when that time will be, you can go to the book of the Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21... Verses 1 through 7, we read words that are talking about this most wonderful time in all of existence. We read these words beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be there, be there with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne... Oh my. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End. To the thirsty, oh, this sounds familiar, sounds like Isaiah 55. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Wow. Wow. That tells me when that time will be. You see, on the timeline of existence, of eternal existence, if you take a pre-millennial literal approach, which I do, I'm actually, if you you want to know what I feel, I don't fit into what the pre-millennials that a lot of you know as pre-millennials, I'm a historic pre-millennialist. Now you, go, you can go figure out what that means I am. But I will tell you this, that, that in, based on that timeline, based on that way of looking at it, Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 refers to the time period immediately following the great white throne judgment. See, Christ returns... Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19. Then we enter into a thousand year period known as the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of that thousand year period is when the great white throne judgment takes place. And after the great white throne judgment takes place, this present earth and this present heaven are no longer. And there's a new earth and a new heaven because all things have been made new. And what has happened is, is all of creation, has been restored to what it was before the fall. You will not spend eternity out in heaven, according to that verse, for God's throne comes down to heaven and you dwell on a perfect earth and we walk with God and we talk with God as Adam did in the cool of the garden before he sinned and rebelled and brought the curse upon us. That will be a glorious... Day. Wow. So Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Isaiah eleven six 6 through 9. Isaiah 55 verses 12 through 13 are guaranteed future realities. And they're guaranteed future realities because of Christ's atoning work. Isaiah 55 is a reality to become because of what Christ became in Isaiah 53. You remember Isaiah 53, what that was about? That's the prophecy of the suffering Messiah who bore the transgression of many. And because of that, because of that, that is why this promise will come. Some have suggested that it is no coincidence that as Christ hung on that rugged Roman cross that He wore a crown of thorns that was pressed down upon His brow. And it was as if some would suggest that there is immense symbolism in that. Now I can't guarantee that. I'm just saying that because of the place of the thorn in the fall of man and the curse that came upon the earth. But what I know is that on Calvary's tree, even we who were cursed, Christ became a curse for us according to the book of Galatians. And as He atoned for the wrath that not everyone, not for everyone, but for those who repent and who trust in Christ, as He bore our wrath, He was beginning the process of restoring all things to His glory that will be finally realized after the great white throne judgment. Now there's a third question I would ask. It's the last question I'll ask. And this question may seem redundant to some of you but I'm going to ask it anyway. That question is this, what will characterize what will characterize this promise of future grace? Now I ask this question simply to highlight really what is already obvious and what has already been stated. And I do it because I want to enlarge our anticipation of that day. Because I want you to think about it. Just a minute. And I want it to enlarge your longing for that moment. That day. Wow. You see, verse 12 says, You will go out in Joy. I mean, in your mind, circle that joy if you don't write in your Bible. I, my Bible marked to shreds, but circle joy. It's that. List. You will go out in joy. This will be a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, we can't process that really because. We know some joy now, but the joy we know now is not perfect. It is stained with pain. It is, it is not the joy that is experienced here. Certainly, we know the joy of God's love for us. Certainly we know the joy of having our sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ because of His vicarious atoning sacrifice. Certainly we know that joy. We know the joy of having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We know that sort of joy. We know the joy... And this may sound redundant. We know the joy, if we're Christian, we know the joy of enjoying God at least as much as we can enjoy God having looked through a glass dimly as Paul would call it in 1 Corinthians 13. But you see then, we just now we just have snippets of joy. Our joy is mixed with pain and with sorrow. But in verse 12, that joy moves from having been a joy looking through a glass dimly, 1 Corinthians 13, to a joy of seeing Him face to face. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Can you imagine that? To behold the face of our Christ! The Christ who bore my sin. The Christ who gave me his righteousness. The Christ who loved me before my life ever got right. Wow. Wow. The joy of verse 12 is a joy undiluted and mixed with no disappointments. You will go out in perfect joy. Joy unspeakable and peace unimaginable. You will leave. You will leave your pain and your sorrow and your sickness and your sin. No more mourning. No more death. You'll leave it. You'll leave it. Now picture this. It's interesting. He mentions the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Creation will rejoice with the church. You hear me? Because creation has not been able to fulfill creation's ultimate purpose for the glory of God because of the curse that has come upon it. Because of what it was subjected to. Going back to Romans chapter 8. Quoted to you verse 18. I told you it refers to this future grace to come. Where in verse 18 Paul told us that our... our, He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. Well let me connect verse 18 with the next verses. Verse 19, verse 20 and 21. He says this, let me read it again together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation, here it is, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Oh, what a day that will be. Wow, what a glorious day. Some of you are familiar with Jim Hill. Long before my time, before I was ever even a thought, in 1955. As a young Christian... Jim Hill could not wrap his mind around why someone whom he thought that was as good and kind and sweet and Christian and loving as his mother-in-law had to go through a serious health problem. Matter of fact, I think she died from this serious health condition. And it bothered him. He just couldn't shake it. And Jim Hill says that he was driving. And he was thinking about that. And it was like the lights came on. The words of Revelation 21 and verse 4 came to his mind. You remember it, we read it. There shall be no more suffering, no more pain. And he said, wow. Wow. His reaction was this. Oh, what a day that will be. Jim Hill says that when he got home, he looked for whatever he could find to begin write the words that were coming to his mind. And so he found an old tattered piece of cardboard and he began to write the lyrics for that song, What a Day It Will Be. Let me remind you of those words. I will not sing. Relax. I might rap, but I'm not singing. There is coming a day when no heartache, when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and look upon His face the one who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day, that will be. There will be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. That will make a Baptist dance. And shout. Act biblical. Okay, I'm meddling. I would say this in closing. I would say this to the Christian... In all your present sufferings and in all your present sufferings and all your present sorrows, let this promise of future grace encourage you. A joy unknown to the world. Is on its way. I hope that you see. That our great God is committed. To the supreme happiness of his people. And a joy that is rich and rooted in God himself. Will come into being. Eagerly anticipated. I would also say. To those. Who don't know God. To those who are lost sinners. I want you to know there is a joy and there is a peace that only Christ can provide. Only Christ can provide. The sin that you think will give you joy only slaps you with empty pleasures and leads you into more sorrow and more suffering. I would say to you, If you are sick of your sin and thirsty for God, you are ripe for His salvation. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ and trust in Christ alone. And I promise, you will never, ever be forsaken by Him. And that day, glorious day, will be a day that you will see. I pray that you will repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed.